so I was saying about we Ishtar, um, from which we derive our, our word Easter. Baal and his consort all root from here, the names are endless, but they go back to the same person, Satan, who was the originator of the counterfeit Messiah. So she found she was pregnant, she said she conceived, and the child in her womb was directly from heaven, the promised seed. After the pregnancy had run its course, she had a son, and she called him Tammuz, who again, according to legend, died in the forest, but raised to life again. According to the Babylonian religion, the women were to mourn for 40 days every year for his death, which is where we get our 40 days Lent. At the end of this time, they were to bake cakes to the Queen of Heaven, topping them with a tea for Tammuz, hot cross buns we call them. So by the time we get to Ezekiel 8, 7 to 14, the story of Tammuz has changed a bit. Instead of dying by a wild wild animal, there's been a drought in June and July, and Tammuz has died of hunger. And here we see God's people Israel weeping and crying for Tammuz during, during June and July. No wonder it made God sick. Over the years, everything has become so mixed that Nimrod, Saramat, Samiramis and Tammuz interchange to the extent that in some cultures the husband is also the son in an attempt to give them all three equal authority and equality. But to see the mention of these characters in the Bible so that we've got a, a biblical a backup for it, it's Ezekiel 8, 14. And here's Ezekiel lifted up and taken by the Holy Spirit into the temple to see for himself what abominable things the Israelite priests are doing there. And he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the house of the Lord and I saw women sitting there mourning for Tammuz. And Samiramis is called the Queen of Heaven in Jeremiah 44, 15-17 where we see Jeremiah being told the people wouldn't take any notice of what he was saying. Then all the men who knew that their wives were burning incense to other gods along with all the women who were present, a large assembly and all the people living in Lower and Upper Egypt said to Jeremiah, we will certainly do everything we said we would. We will burn incense to the Queen of Heaven and will pour out drink offerings to her, just as we and our fathers, our kings and our officials did in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. And at that time we had plenty of food and were well off and suffered no harm. But ever since we stopped burning incense to the Queen of Heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we've had nothing but perishing, we have had nothing and have been perishing by sword and famine. So it gets worse. Tammuz grew, as I said, and at a certain age he went into the forest and was killed by a wild animal, and guess what? He was raised from the dead. So beginning at the Tower of Babel, this legend of the woman who claimed she had a divine child, who then died and was raised from the dead, was established as far as the earth is concerned. So he got mother, son, worship. And many of the heathen religions we have today are a form of this religious system which started at the Tower of Babel. The details vary but the root is the same. One of the names of Tammuz is Baal and Baal is just a development of the story of Tammuz. These gods always have a consort and usually have an offspring. 
The stories and myths surrounding the Greek gods and goddesses root in the same thing. When you unpick Greek mythology, they root to mother-son or brother-sister relationships from which there is an offspring, as I said before, to give equal power to both. The Greek god Apollo, Adonis from Adonai and Venus and Pluto are all variations on the theme, mother-son worship and the Immaculate Conception as the Catholic Church calls it. And in verses 7 to 14, we have the Jewish women worshipping this Babylonian religious system, baking cakes to the Queen of Heaven with a tea on top. And it wasn't just Tammuz they worshipped, they worshipped Samiramis as well, whose now became, name became Astarte or Ishtar, or as I said before, as we know it, Easter. And in Babylon there is a thing called the Ishtar or Ishtar Gate, um, where the, she was said to come in and go out. So those of you who are familiar with the Old Testament will recall the number of times God speaks to his people about bowing down to their Asherah poles and worshipping Astarte on every high hill with shrine prostitutes, drink offerings, etc. This is the apostasy of adultery which brought Israel into judgment and finally the fifth cycle of discipline. Dispersion among the nations where they remain to this day. Jeremiah 7, 17 to 19. Do you see what they are doing in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the fathers light a fire, and the women knead the dough and make the cakes of bread for the Queen of Heaven. They pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. But I am the one they are the, the provoking, declares the Lord. Am I the one they are provoking, sorry, declares the Lord. Are they not rather harming themselves? To their own shame. Samaramis started this blasphemous religious system which Satan has prospered ever since its birth at the Tower of Babel and we now see manifested as the worldwide celebration of Christmas, portrayed even in places like China as mother-son worship. I think it's Mother Moon and, and she is portrayed with a baby in her arms with a halo. So. Christmas is celebrated in the whole of the world. It's enough to show us it's got absolutely diddly squat to do with Jesus. The whole world would not celebrate that. But they are celebrating the counterfeit. When we study the book of Revelation next year, we'll see the very same woman again. It's Mystery Babylon, the mother of harlots and abominations on the earth, exposed for what she is the brainchild of Satan himself. This is the blasphemous religious system which was spawned in the garden. A counterfeit of Mary, the virgin birth and the death and resurrection of Jesus. The system was designed to satisfy the religious side of man's nature but not enough to get him through to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Okay, so why December the 25th? In AD 320, the Emperor Constantine, a Roman, became a Christian and decreed that everyone else should do the same on pain of death. He brought into the Jewish calendar all the heathen festivals from what we celebrate as Valentine's Day, Cupid or Eros, to the Feast of Astarte, Easter, right through to the winter solstice, Christmas and its celebrations. 
on the 25th of December, the Roman Empire universally celebrated Natalis Solis Invicti, the rebirth of the invincible sun, S-U-N. The ancient pagan view was that the sun god was perishing through the autumn, coming to its lowest point on December the 25th. They believed that it was born again on that day and continued to strengthen throughout the spring and summer. So the invincible or unconquerable sin, sin, sun, <laughs> was celebrated with gusto on this date. The week-long Roman festival of Saturnalia, celebrating the war god Saturn, began on the 17th of December and culminated on the 25th. During this time, boundaries of morality were thrown off. Drunkenness, lewdness and licentiousness were the order of the day. Caroling was a popular feature of Saturnalia, singing through the streets in an inebriated and often unclad state. Lights and parties and erotic action were the order of the day. Not a lot of difference from the way Christmas is celebrated now. It was all done in the context of the Roman winter solstice on December the 25th, a day of festive celebration and invocation of Sol Invictus, the unconquerable sun, Saturnalia, the god of war, and Bacchus, the god of excess, wine and sexuality. When we consider the whole season, there's one more factor we really must take into consideration, and it's this. Behind every god, there is a demonic force. What happens at this time of year, as consumerism takes over, excess and licentiousness abounds, is that people come under the influence and power of the spirits released by the keeping of these festivals. Thus, it's very difficult indeed to resist the push which drives us to spend, 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 and for mothers amongst us to get in food supplies as though there's going to be a famine. We have become captive to the culture and the spirits at work in the sons of disobedience. So here we are, the Bride of Christ in the 21st century, perpetuating the feast of Saturnalia and Bacchus, the gods of excess, overlaying it with the birth of Christ, hoping that it will Christianise it. Beloved, it will not. The whole world lies under the power of the wicked one. What happens is that we become captive to the culture because culture is more powerful than doctrine. And as a tailpiece, I've thought long and hard and sought the Lord about what I'm about to say. And fundamentally, the issue of Christmas is not the issue. It's not a question of whether we celebrate a Christmas or not or not, but our own individual walk with the lover of our soul, our bridegroom, Jesus. Is his glory paramount to us in our daily walk? Would what we are involved in glorify him? I want to leave you with a little food for thought during this season to enable you to see the choice you have about where you place your feet next year. It's a simple choice hand in hand with the world or hand in hand with Jesus are we walking holding hands with the world of Jesus in just a minute I'm going to explain to you what that picture is all about there it's a dream someone had and I asked them they were very kindly 
paint it for me. It's not difficult with a dream, really. And basically what it depicts is the big butch guy is Eros, Apollo, Nimrod. No, it's okay, I'll be over there in a minute. Uh, and it's, they're sitting in lukewarm water. I'll talk you through it in a minute. So we're coming into the start of a new year and we're in a new era in God. That doesn't necessarily mean that you will walk in the fullness of that era. What choices will you make at the end of this year which will govern the way you walk with the Lord in 2008? I suspect that my message personally isn't going to get any easier. And just a little bit of, uh, to, to, to lighten your mind a bit, really, is amongst the things that Dwight Pryor says is that um, it's helpful to distinguish between the nativity and the festival of the nativity, which is post-biblical. By all means, celebrate the nativity of our Lord. Rejoice with the angels at the birth of the Messiah. Reflect on the profound significance of the incarnation and resolve in your own life to live more incarnationally for it's the spirit of Messiah who indwells you and wants to transform your life to the glory of the Father. He says the problem it seems to me is not so much that we celebrate Christmas but we don't celebrate it well. In other words the problem is not that we celebrate but how we celebrate because our culture and unchecked consumerism tend to dominate our customs. I would urge you this year to find creative ways to celebrate the nativity of the Lord in spirit and truth. The merrymaking of our society during this season is much more akin to Saturnalia than the things of the spirit. Let's be honest, during the Christmas season our homes, sad to say, are more often noted for the presents that are there than for the presence who is there. The spirit of Santa Claus is a more notable feature of our celebrations than the spirit of Christ. And he says something, from my point of view, Santa Claus is about as relevant to Christ's birth as rabbits are to his resurrection. <laughs> Consider simplifying and sanctifying the nativity season this year. Be redemptive with your giving. Buy less and give more. Why not take a portion of your planned money gift and give it to the poor? Why not redeem your money this year? Give more to charitable causes than you ever have before. Make every effort to focus on Messiah, his incarnation, his life and the joy of his spirit. Let's be more concerned about Christ showing up Christmas morning than Santa Claus. May our homes be known for the sweet spirit of Messiah permeating the festivities rather than for the frantic profusion of gifts, food and merrymaking. Christmas is actually one of the most impressive ways we can bear witness of the Lord to our friends and family, in our, even in our society. So let's redeem the time, he said. Last year someone, Tim uh, it was, played a, played a game on us because uh, he knows how I feel about Christmas and all the brouhaha. I'll tell you an easy way out of Christmas, just pray. I give gifts to my family and I give what God tells me and I don't give anything more and I do the same thing as I do when I uh, birthdays. I pray about what they need, what, what to give them and he tells me and it's always received well because it's exactly what they want because I've asked the Lord and he knows what they want so they get what he says. Brilliant. We have this little thing going with Tim 
about chicken in the garden. She's had chicken here, it says. This big garden new chicken. So last year's Christmas card says, Happy Christmas, Beryl Maury. God, I told you that God wanted you to have chickens. Four chickens. Your gift will brighten life for a farming family in poverty in southwest Kenya. Four chickens plus training and breeding chickens bought on your behalf will provide an income by selling chicks and eggs. Thank you. And this gift has been brought for you and given to a community in a developing country. This is www.greatgifts.org. That is the way to redeem your money at Christmas time. We were so thrilled. Jo I got that one with a little guinea pig thingy on the floor, whatever it is. And Joycey got this one. Joycey Bell's with the sheep with the you know, And she got a goat. A goat brought. Happy Christmas, Joycey Bell's. Seeing as you didn't want chickens, we bought you a goat instead. <laughs> a goat brought on your behalf will be given to a family in Malawi. Goats provide milk, manure and more goats. World Vision staff will provide training on animal care and the first kids will be put back into the community. Thank you. And there's a lovely little picture of a little black boy with a goat in his arms. So I just something for your consideration really about where you're going to spend your money. Okay, right. Dream interpretation. For those on the CD, it's going to be difficult for you. But this is a dream and it has a one, two, three, four, five sections to it. And the first section, the person dreaming um, was running down the road with her sister as she thought that her car and all her possessions are, as she said to me just now, all my life was in this car and it was being, it was being taken. It was about to be stolen and she and her sister were running down this road. Looking back, she suddenly saw a huge fish in the distance bouncing along the road, getting nearer and nearer. I noticed there were two fish joined together at the head and they bounced like a ball high into the air. The fish were chasing me and trying to land on top of me. Trying to locate my stolen car, moving to the next picture, I came across a type of carport which contained my car and my life. There were two people sitting near the car and there were church items around the car park, so it locates it to be in something to do with the fishes and the church. I spoke to the men saying, that car belongs to me, you've taken my car. A man replied, no, it's ours, you've got it wrong, it's been commandeered for church purposes. So she was saying to me, what the church was trying to do to her was to commandeer her life and everything she had for their purposes. Then she found herself in a Roman bath with this hunk here, with small and large paws. I was with a tall, well-built man who I held hands with, and she gave me quite a description of what he was or wasn't wearing, and his thighs and one thing and another, and he's happy enough holding hands with her. Then I found myself on a huge swing, high above the ground, swinging a huge distance. It was exhilarating, and I experienced much joy is above all this other stuff. Then I found myself back again at the Roman baths and the large man was not happy, very unhappy face, though I'd left him on his own and was moody and annoyed because I'd been off on the swing. Other people were sitting in the Roman baths with their own large man in lukewarm water. Anything beginning to drop in a penny here? 
I heard a voice saying, she actually said it was me, is his name Eros? Is that his name? I responded, oh maybe it is. Maybe that's his name. When we prayed about it, we felt that the fish that was jumping after her was indeed the church. You can say charismatic and Anglican, joined together, but they, they were trying to take her life, as was he, because she was walking hand in hand with him. But when she came to find that there was a higher place that Jesus actually wanted her to live her life, Eros was not happy, but it didn't move the people who were sitting in the lukewarm bar, who each had their own worldly holding their hands with the world. Which is why I'd say to you, do you want to go into 2008 holding hands with the world? If you don't want to go into 2008 holding hands with the world, then you need to say to the Lord, I want to come out of the world system. See, it's not uh, getting the church out of the world, it's getting the world out of the church that is the problem. Getting us, Agape, in the centre instead of Eros in the centre. And that requires some choices that we're going to have to make if we're going to actually be moving with everything that that prophetic word gave there. I don't think it's too late for us to make choices and say, I want to be at the front of what you're doing next year, Lord. I do not want to be caught in the dust storm and not actually seeing what's going on. I want to be part of that beautiful young woman and not part of the ugly old crone. God bless you. Thank you for listening. And this afternoon, we're going to have a little look at 1 John 1 9, which some of you may be familiar with, so that we can get a clear out and start in your life. So, enjoy your lunch. It's just after 1 o'clock. I haven't heard the clock strike again. Brilliant. Thank you. Sessions on this um, thing, and what popped out to me was um, walking in the light. And specifically the scripture in uh, 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the purpose of this little bit is to cause us to be able to start a new year right. There's a quickening spirit abroad on the earth, but this cannot be released into our lives until we're in alignment with him. Hence the title for this afternoon, Walking in the Light. God is willing to bring us up to speed in him. It just requires a little cooperation from you. Um, Graham Cook's got a teaching out at the moment called Radical Renewal or Business as Usual. And you can download it from www.swordfire.org. That's uh, Chris Larkin's website and it's well worth listening to. For those of you who weren't here this morning, there was a prophetic word from Chris that is recent at the end of October, uh, which talks about a dust storm uh, blowing up and uh, um, it's God. Uh, so um, those of you on email, I'll pop, I'll get, ask June to pop that in with the notes as well so that uh, you get the whole piece from this morning. It may come as a shock, but unconfessed sin is sin unforgiven. And it's not fashionable in these days to speak of sin, either in the church or out of it. But we stand on the threshold of a new year and we want to go into that new year with a clean slate before God so that we may come into all that he purposes for us. 
We cannot walk with him with known or unknown sin in our lives. Some of us may need to understand this afternoon what sin actually is in God's eyes. The whole subject is so little taught that we can go through our Christian lives without any understanding at all of how we may be grieving the Holy Spirit by our attitudes and behaviours. Conversely, our denomination may be so hidebound in the fact that we are sinners we may never feel free. Either way, today is the day for freedom. The price is paid. Jesus dealt with sin on the cross once and for all. He dealt it a blow from which it will never recover. However, the Bible does include 1 John 1 9, so there must be something that we have to do to come into the freedom Jesus won for us. We cannot walk in license just because sin has been dealt with. Paul says, don't make your liberty an occasion for sin. So, what's our part in this? Sin will not make us lose our salvation, but it does hinder our fellowship with God. It puts us out of fellowship. Sin can never cut us off from our family relationship with him, but it can cut us off from living in fellowship with him. And that is his greatest desire, that his children walk in fellowship with him all the time. So there are three separate words for sin in the Bible. They're iniquity, transgression, and sin. I'll start with iniquity. Iniquity in the Greek is anomia, literally lawlessness. And akadia, A-D-I-K-I-A, which is, um, and that comes out of that word, is unrighteousness. A condition of not being right, whether with God, according to the standard of his holiness and righteousness, or with man, according to the standard of what man knows to be right by his conscience. The next one is transgression. The Greek is parabeno, literally to go aside or go beyond. Overstepping the law of the Lord, overstepping a limit, an act or the process of overstepping a limit or a command. And sin in the Greek is hamartia, literally a missing of the mark, morally oblique, slanted off course. So you're never going to meet, you're never going to hit what you're aiming for. So God never changes. He hates sin, the generic word for iniquity, transgression and sin. I've had this bit up, develop inner cleanliness. Those of you who are old enough will remember the Andrews advert, fizzing, fizzing stuff that gave you inner cleanliness. What you learn this afternoon must be put into practice during the next year so that your slate remains clean. It's a good idea to do a review at least once a day, and if you can, twice, at lunchtime and in the evening just before you retire. Keep those accounts short with God and your fellow men. Talk to him about your morning, your day. Ask him whether you could have handled situations any differently or responded any differently. I don't know about you, but I want to fulfil the destiny God has marked out for me. I don't want to get there and find that I missed his will for my life. When I worked at Bexley with Sue, um, I often had situations where I, I got really quite touched with people. And I would say to the Lord, well, how else could I have done it then? And he would graciously show me how it could have been much nicer than it was. So that was how I learnt how to go to him when I knew I'd, I'd messed up in dealing with relationships. And our whole life is relationship, isn't it? 
we can't shut ourselves off. So it's confession time, folks. Some of us will be aware that we're actually behind in the purposes of God for our lives for whatever reason, and I'm giving you an opportunity this day to put that right. It's not a condemnation, which is the word judgment, it's a fact. We know when we have been lagging behind. And for those of you who are listening on CD or are reading the notes, there will be an opportunity to put this right in a short while so you won't be left out either. Perhaps this afternoon you will need to get honest with God and admit that you've gone off to Joppa, like Jonah did, when he's been asking you to do something. It may simply be to meet with him. Maybe right now his conviction is coming on you about stuff that has not been brought into the light. Let me tell you that anything that hasn't been brought into the light is food for the devil to harass and accuse you. So wherever you are, make this the afternoon where you get cleaned up and walk on in partnership with him. Determined to start the new year right, to make up for lost time and get in the race and run it to win. Some of us may not even identify what I'm about to list as wrong behaviour in the sight of God. This is what is really interesting. Things that we, we don't actually understand can put us out with him. So let's just look at a few hindrances and see if anything rings bells with you. And then afterwards I'll tell you the... I've got lists here that you can look at yourself if you want to go over it again. I've also got some prayers here and that you may want to pray separately or... Uh, corporately, depends on what the Lord throws up. Be blessed if God throws nothing up. It's interesting that when I was praying, just when we came to the meeting and I just committed the meeting to prayer, I saw myself dancing with Jesus. That's what I was saying about keeping in step with him. You know, it's like a dance partner. We need to be in step with what he's doing right now. Absolutely essential. So, checklist for confession. Unconfessed anger at God yourself or another letting the sun go down on your wrath wives and husbands this is a big one for you put things right between you before you go to bed at night succumbing to flattery flattery always seeks to get something out of you as I said to Sue the other day you're so good at that Sue now what's behind that? I want something out of that that's my eros in operation flattering someone to get something out of them you doing it, that is, if we use flattery. So there's two ways of flattery, being flattered and flattering. See, painting a wrong picture to another about yourself or a situation, committing the sin of omission. David used to say, and I know the first time I heard this, I thought, oh, I thought that's terrible. My wife never makes me a cup of tea. Oh, David, that's terrible. On the face of it, he said, I don't drink tea. <laughs> but had he not said that, I would have been left with the impression, because it was a sin of omission, that something was not as it was. You see how an impression is created by omission, and we're experts at slanting information to bring ourselves out whiter than white. God doesn't like this. It's called lying. Criticising someone. Gossip. The rabbis called gossip the dust of slander. 
lies, white ones as well. Hypocrisy, you look lovely in that, dear. Secretly thinking what of us. You can ask the Holy Spirit if someone says, how do you think I look in this? You can ask him how you can say it if you're thinking, hmm. As Joyce and I would say, you're going out in that. <laughs> Withholding praise. This happens when we fear that another may be preferred over us or what we want they may be getting. What about nursing a hurt feeling? You nurse it, curse it, rehearse it, and sure enough it grows. Losing your temper. Motivated by the love of money. Committing adultery in our heart. Showing contempt for people overtly or covertly. Name dropping. Oh yes, she's a good friend of mine. I remember a guy came to stay with us and he talked about um, a man who was uh, a speaker as though he knew him. He talked about him in the first person. And so I thought he had a personal relationship. Well, Colin, let's call him for instance. Well, Colin, you know, said this and Colin said that. And eventually, I said, do you know him then? She said, oh no, 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 that's what he said. And I thought, but the impression I was being given was that he, they were really buddies and mates. Name dropping. Good deed dropping. Painting yourself again in a good light. It's called self-righteousness. Feeling jealous. Making another jealous. Selfish ambition. Self-vindication. We go to great lengths to vindicate ourselves when something has happened. Racism. Bitterness. Coveting. Superimposing God's name on your own enterprise. Well, God told me. And then, you know, if someone says that, you're just really stuck with it if you're in a position like mine. Well, God's told me to do it. And I'm scratching my head thinking, well, you could have done it. But it doesn't sound like it, but I can't get beyond that because it's got the authority stuck on it. Refusing correction. Withholding your money when God is asking you to give. You knew that one would come in somewhere. Taking yourself too seriously. Judging, not forgiving and releasing. People have said to me, I can forgive but I can't forget. Well, you haven't forgiven them. Release, release them. Being governed by a spirit of fear. Being a cause of stumbling. You know in Romans it says uh, about not being a, putting a stumbling block in your brother's way. Can be quite subtle that one. Joyce and I have come up against it more than once. In our own little... Um, living together scenario really you know we find ourselves saying Look, I don't want to cause you to stumble over this but this 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 and this I don't want you to cause you to stumble over the Christmas issue because I hope you'll all go away and have a pray and see what the Lord says I don't like the next one overeating <laughs> arrogance self-pity not speaking to someone we don't like, crossing the road so we don't bump into it. Oh, here they come. <laughs> Not that I've ever done it, you understand. <laughs> Feeling good over someone else's lack of success or obvious failure. Do not rejoice over me, my enemy, though I fall, I shall rise again. Being pious to impress. Not waiting for answered prayer. Keeping a record of that means going off and doing your own thing before God's answered you. Oh, well, you're not going to turn up, Lord, so I'd better go and do so-and-so, you know. Keeping a record of wrongs. Snobbishness and spiritual snobbishness. 
feeling superior about your class or education, I can't on either of those. Hurting someone else's reputation. Justifying yourself when your sin is brought home. Murmuring or complaining. Engendering strife. Having a negative spirit. And so on. They're just things that they were compiled. Some of them I put in, some were from a list from R.T. Kendall. Once saved, always saved. There can be many causes for being out of alignment with God, but the scripture is clear. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. And I've got a, a couple of specific prayers here for those who now know that they're out of alignment with God. Um, if they apply, I'll, I'll read them in a minute. <clears throat> you can come and get a copy and do business. So, determined to do business with him this afternoon. If you've none to do, as I say, praise God. But let the Holy Spirit show you what needs to be confessed. Be blessed if you have a clean sheet. But do business if you haven't. And if you need any help, please come and see me. As I've already said, the next baton is the 26th of January. And it's the, uh, ostensibly, it's the role of women in the home, in society and in the church. Um, interesting stuff and then biblical submission following this in February um, but the restoring the rejected conference on the 5th of Jan in the winter room and the winter school at the 14th of the 18th of January in the face of God at Fieldview so there we are